welcome to the Six Hats podcast, where I, Dr. Shami, a lifestyle and nutritional medicine family doctor, will talk about how women strive to find balance each day by juggling their six roles, being a woman, mother, daughter, partner, business owner, and professional. Hello, welcome back. And today I'm really excited to have Natalie West. She's a clinical psychotherapist here in Melbourne and a self-image specialist, which makes her very unusual. Welcome, Natalie. Hi, Shami. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. So Natalie, I'm really curious about self-image and this is what we're going to delve into in today's podcast. Now, it's a term not commonly used. So what exactly is self-image and how does it affect the choices we make? Yeah, amazing, great question. So generally in society, when we hear the word self-image, it's generally driven by social media and it's what we see in the mirror or, you know, the external part of ourselves. However, what I do is kind of look at more of the unconscious programming that we develop in relation to building our self-image at a very young age, between the age of zero to seven. So I help people understand how their minds work and how important uh, their developed self-image is and how to actually try to change certain traits or behaviors of one's self-image. Now, one of the biggest, one of the most important things is understanding that most human beings are programmed to be in a very poor and conflicted state when it comes to their self-image. So we both have a conscious thinking process and an unconscious thinking process. So the unconscious process is the one that basically controls 90% of our autopilot behaviors every day. Wow. And our self-image drives that and our value systems drive that. Yeah. Wow. So if we decide to explore self-image and eating habits, which I'm really intrigued by, for example, like what happens in our minds when we're indulging in sugar or we're craving sugar? And also, for example, you know, you buy a packet of biscuits and mm. eat the whole packet. What's going on there? Yeah, again, so another element of what I kind of, you know, in two lanes that I work in is, as I said, the self-image, but it's also the nutritional psychology element of our self-image. So again, if we go back to that really pre-cognitive phase of between zero to seven is where we really learn our habits, okay, because we actually learn them from people in authority to us. So if you have someone in authority to you that really has unhealthy eating habits and, you know, becomes again addicted to, you know, high fat, high processed sugar laden foods, we learn those behaviors because that's what we see, right? So in relation to nutritional psychology, there's two elements. So it's the psychology part of the addiction process of food, but there's also the biological process, which basically means that if you, for example, eat hyper-processed foods and a lot of sugar, your body becomes addicted. So what it does, it actually hits those dopamine receptors, which makes us feel good for a very short period of time, but it also uh, creates that pleasure pain response where we become quite addicted. Now, the other thing that people aren't aware of is foods designed to be addicted, like junk food, they spend billions of dollars getting to that beautiful sweet spot where you just eat enough and then you can't stop. <laughs> 
So that's not done by accident. Tell me more about this sweet spot, because to be honest, I don't know if many people are aware of it. No. Well, again, we've got to be very aware of conscious eating and unconscious eating. So again, unconscious eating, the root cause of that generally is emotion. So a lot of the time we're eating through our emotions, oh, sorry, going around our emotions and eating around them instead of going through them and understanding the connection between what we actually need from ourselves right now. So we have to learn that too, Shami, like we don't actually learn as children how to actually regulate, listen to our emotions and feel them so that, you know, we generally push them down. And if we push them down and our source of external comfort in that is food, which we also learn. So as kids, we have learned to use treats as rewards and food. And a lot of the time, those treats are always really bad food. (laughs) like sugars and hyper-processed foods. I think you read my mind because I literally, when I think back to that programming, reward treats or sugar. So I just think, you know, birthday celebrations, the cake will come out and, oh, you know, you've done well, let's go and get ice cream. Yes. I'm literally still trying to unlearn that. It is. It's a very powerful source because the thing is too, is we have a memory structure of being rewarded verbally, but then also we get rewarded through food. And as we've said, food is addictive in relation to processed foods and sugars and treats. So we really need to understand, hold on, what does that look like, sound like, feel like for me right now? Because I'm an adult now, I'm not a child. However, your unconscious doesn't know any different. It's got to be retrained. So when you develop a consistent high energy neural pathway of familiarity, especially when it comes to food, it's about being aware of, hold on, am I conscious right now or am I unconscious and what's going on around me and my emotions? So we tend to, again, use external validation, mainly through food, which then will also create stress because then we get conscious about it and go, oh my gosh, I had one biscuit and then I've eaten the whole packet. And I normally speak to my clients and I'm like, well, after the second biscuit, normally you're not tasting it. That, that's like. So Powerful. Yeah. I get people to really own the fact that, you know what, if I'm going to have a biscuit, I've got to understand I must taste it all. I must take my time, but I also have to ask myself, is this a craving, a psychological, emotional craving, or is it a biological craving? Because again, that will override and you become addicted. Like we said earlier, it's an addictive sweet spot process and we have to unlearn that. I think you sort of touched on the first couple of steps our listeners can take, but if you'd like to run it just through maybe one or two strategies, and you mentioned taking a moment, what does it look, feel, and taste so like? What does it look like, sound like, feel like? So, for example, you know, if you're rushing around and you're really in that unconscious behavior of busy, 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 and your actual normal response is to go for a biscuit, what I would normally say to people is, okay, but what I want you to do is to stop, give yourself at least a minute, reframe that connection with the biscuit, for example, and I want you to actually go and have a massive glass of water with some electrolytes in it that are really, really salty. So, again, we're shifting the sweet spot association with stress. So we're disrupting the pattern, even though it's a very small disruption and salt again will diminish any kind of sugar-based craving. If anyone's ever tried it, try it. It's very simple. (laughs) And then again, it's like, okay, what does this look like, sound like, feel like? 
I am stressed. Why am I stressed? What does it look like? And honor the feeling of being in the stress. But then again, just reframe a small step away from your normal outcome. But one thing too, I'll always say, you're the one that shops. Don't go to the center of the shopping aisle because that's where you'll get into, again, unconscious processing around, that's my comfort. So we've really got to also undo that level of attachment to comfort being driven by food. Some really important points. And it just goes back to basic health, to be honest, eating well, sleeping, exercising, that's all regulating your emotions, regulating the stress response. And you probably notice that we're actually not thinking about sugar. And that's interesting you say that. That's what I say to my patients. It starts off with nutrition. You know, are you eating enough protein? Just to be sure that you're not hungry and you're feeling satisfied and protein sits in your stomach for longer sending signals to your brain. 100% Shami. And you know, that's the thing. We are eating generally non-satiating, you know, sugar-driven turn on your brain food that's sending signals that you're not nutritionally being fed correctly. So again, you know, if you don't sleep, your cortisol goes up, you wake up in the morning, you're also in cortisol response. First thing that your body wants is carbs and sugar. (laughs) So again, it's also understanding when we go to sleep, am I in the future? Am I in the past? Where am I when I go to sleep? Am I contributing to my stress by my mind being in the past, which was actually the day prior, right? And it's all about being very conscious about our thinking. But secondly, understanding that all hyper-processed foods and sugars aren't satiating. You'll be honestly on a roller coaster of insulin all day, every day. And you'll just be like, you know, a dog that chases its tail. You just go around and around and around. But the way to disrupt that is exactly what you just said. Protein and really good, you know, fats like avocado and, you know, unrefined coconut oil and just the normal mat, you know, fat that you get from protein turns your brain off. <laughs> it makes you satiated so you don't feel so crazy. Absolutely. When we look at self-image and we've touched upon it in terms of stress, I'm really curious because I've met many women who say, well, this is how life is. It's meant to be stressful. And that's the challenge on this podcast. We're going to challenge the narrative. It's not meant to be stressful. It's our perception of it. So what's the self-image around that stress? Is it conditioning? Is it society these days? Is it social media? What's going on? It's society. And also too, if we go back between, you know, that zero to seven, if that precognitive commitment, that's where it starts. So if you have programming around belief structures and values that say that, you know, you have to grind and you have to be stressed to be successful. And, you know, what happens is we generally have two parts of our self-image, which is a positive and negative. But as I said earlier, it's normally the negative one that wins out because what happens is that's the most heavy energy based neural pathway that we learn, right? So most people are quite negative and to go into the positive and understand we need to both be mentally positive, but also biologically well, metabolically well for that to work together. So yes, social media, again, has a massive pull in that. However, I will say social media is an external platform. If you have a really strong, healthy, positive self-image, nothing on self-image will ever take you off track. It's only when you have a very negative self-image and we are externally validating or trying to hunt and seek something outside of ourselves instead of looking at the relationship with ourselves. So again, anything externally should not take you away or disrupt your own 
self-image and also understanding what your values and beliefs are about you. (laughs) So, you know, again, everyone kind of blames social media, but again, it comes back to, well, hold on. I'm ultimately need to understand why I'm being triggered by that. Why is that sending me into a bit of a spiral? If I look at someone's page or again, why am I conditioning my nervous system to be in flight or flight response? So again, if you condition your nervous system to be in stress response, that's what becomes very normal and very familiar. But there is patterns of reconditioning that so that you actually are able to shift and not be in a stressed response. Because I'll always, you know, people always say to me like, oh my gosh, I'm so busy and I've got this and I've got this. And I'm like, okay, great. Tell me what that looks like, sounds like, feels like. And literally it's about slowing down the assumption of putting everything into one big bucket. We've got to separate. We've got to understand, hold on, what is actually going on? Am I really busy? Or am I actually just conditioning myself to be in that mode? And saying yes to thousands of things. (laughs) Well, correct. You know, and also too, people don't want to say no externally. And I'll always say to people, it's not about saying no. It's actually about saying yes to you and understanding that, you know, we're not robots. We're not conditioned, you know, to function at a high uh, flight or flight or stress response all the time. But we must own parts of ourselves that are actually wanting that to be familiar, which doesn't serve us. And again, if you've come from a very driven background with you've got to do more to be more, again, whose belief is that? Is it really yours or does it belong to someone else? You've made such a great point because what I was going to say is I was reflecting over the weekend and I'm still finding it really hard to do nothing. And I could just hear my mum's voice in the background going, it's a waste of time. You're wasting time. And this is like when I was growing up and I really reflect and I go, God, have I been living in that as though life is about to end and that you've got to do it now and there's a sense of urgency all the time. And so you've mentioned programming. Is that a huge part to play? 100%. You know, that's where we learn those values and beliefs around, you know, you've always got to be doing something or, you know, taking time out is a waste of time. And But again, I'll always question that narrative of like, well, whose voice is that? It's not yours. And again, it comes back to the fact that Being in downtime is actually extremely powerful because you must actually be present. So this is the other thing too. You can never, ever develop anything in the future if you're not present. So your mind is extremely powerful and it is designed to go forward and back, future, past, future, past. We've got to retrain it to be in the present moment and to be consciously aware of thoughts, feelings, and reactions. Are they ours or are they external? Am I triggered externally? But again, I always say to people, triggers are a gift. If you're conscious with them to understand, like you said, if you want to have downtime and all of a sudden you feel that energetic part of your body and that emotional content, which is the opposite of what you want to do, it's about sitting in that uncomfortability and going, actually, hold on. If I sit in this for a second and don't run away from it, it actually would dissipate over time. So you mentioned about this, would you say negative self-image yeah. versus positive self-image? First of all, how do we know? And is that something that someone would work with you on that? Yeah. So generally what happens is when 
you are in conflict. So for example, when you got to do something new or put yourself outside your familiar zone or your comfort zone, there'll be one part of you that would generally be like, yes, I can do this. I'm excited, you know, but then there's always the other heavy part of ourselves, which is the negative part that will pop up and go, no, you've done this before. Don't do that. It's embarrassing. What will people say? And this is the other thing we're programmed to be concerned about what other people think. And honestly, most people actually don't think about anybody else because they're in their own, you know, programming in their own self-image to think about themselves, let alone anyone else. <laughs> so, so again, opinions are opinions, but your self-image generally is the one that will unconsciously look quite different to what you think your conscious self-image is. So it is about understanding those processes. And that's what I work with, with all my clients to understand what that looks like unconsciously, how that's been developed and how to actually reframe and actually retrain beliefs and value structures. Because your values will drive your behavior whether or not they serve you or not. So the other thing, you know, most of your listeners will probably be, you know, quite familiar with what I'm about to say, because most people will tell me, I know this is not good for me, but I just keep doing the same things over and over and over. That's because your unconscious is still running the show. <laughs> it's not the conscious. So true. So true. And you've actually described some beautiful steps that we can take. So does it start with just being present and just observing our behavior and our thoughts? Yeah, 100%. It's about kind of asking ourselves, you know, where am I right now? You know, am I really conscious? What is going on? Am I annoyed from something that happened at work this morning or, you know, something that happened with the kids or I didn't sleep well? It's about really nurturing that relationship with yourself. And also too, there's a little strategy that I get people to use. So a lot of stillness processes around just sitting in self and which is quite uncomfortable. <laughs> people kind of think, oh, sure, I can sit by myself for five minutes. Give it a go. It's quite difficult. But what it does, it allows you in your thoughts and feelings and reactions not to drag you out of the present moment. So it's a form of meditation, but it's conscious meditation with just watching your thoughts and your feelings without being involved. And a lot of the time, this is about sitting in stillness. So you're actually operating in stillness day in, day out without even thinking about it. You're becoming very conscious. The other process is around this statement, which I tend to use when people get very confused or very lost in their day and they're going to grab biscuits or they're going to grab something that they know that's not good for them. I get them to say, and now. So what that does, it literally brings them back into that conscious state that gives them a clean slate effectively to go, and now. Because if you even say and now out loud, can't go anywhere. Now is now. <laughs> so what it does, it gives you a little gap and a window to change and reframe the thought, feeling, reaction, which would be the normal neural pathway that you would go on to go, hold on. If I say and now, what can I add in that can help me shift to more of a positive neural pathway and start developing it that way? Brilliant. Some amazing, amazing tips, Natalie. Thank, Thank you, you so much. And before we leave everyone, uh, where can people find you? So you can find me at my website. So www.natalieewest.com and Instagram, natalie.e.west and also on LinkedIn if anyone wants to, you know, join with me there as well. Fantastic. And I feel like we need to end with those wise words you said about saying yes to yourself. Absolutely. You know, on ending, Shami, one of the most important things I really want people to know is the most precious relationship that you must have is the one with yourself because you cannot fill 
from an empty cup to anything. And even as a mum, you know, I'm a mum, I've got two kids and most of your listeners will probably be mums and dads. You must, must put that self first. It's not selfish. We also get told it's selfish. It's not because if there is no you, then what happens? Absolutely. Thank you, Natalie. Thank Thank you. you. Remember that this is general advice only. Please see your healthcare professional for more information. So what's your take home message today? Remember, it's all about progress and not perfection. Curious to learn more? Visit usawa.com.au and click on the Usawa Learning Platform, which is packed with educational videos, including the six-week stress-free challenge. Enjoy the journey.